peace be to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text today is going to be taken from the reading we heard in the Gospel of Luke. You may be seated. We begin with the word of prayer. Mighty God, we give you thanks this day that you have gathered us here once again to hear your word and receive your sacrament. Now, Lord, we pray that as we hear this message and this parable, we would be reminded of your relentless love that we would receive the forgiveness that you have won for us through your son's death on the cross. Now, Lord, grant us your Holy Spirit that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. To be honest with you guys, today I did not come up with this sermon title uh, this morning. In fact, as you look at it, it looks like I didn't come up with any sermon title today. Uh, title to be determined. But actually, this was, this was uh, Pastor Matt's idea. I really like this title. Uh, we were discussing today the parable that we're going to be working through. And as we were discussing it, I, I was mentioning to him how often I have heard uh, a variety of titles given to this particular parable. And I said it might be fun for us to try and figure out which one we like best or to figure out what title would be most appropriate for this parable. And he said maybe you should call the sermon Title to be Determined. Well, I like that. That's we went with that. Pastor Matt, kind of smart guy. So we're, uh, we're going to go with this title today, To Be Determined. Because what I want to suggest to you is that the way we title the parable we heard this morning is going to color and shape the way we understand what the parable means. Now, you heard the parable, and let me ask you, what is the most popular, not the one you like, but what is the most popular title for this parable? What do you think it is? The Parable of the Prodigal Son. In fact, if you have your Bibles open in front of you right now, you probably see that title given to the parable. We call it the parable of the prodigal son. Now, before we get into that title, does anybody actually know what prodigal means? We were talking about this in the office. None of us really knew what prodigal means. I've been a pastor for a long time. I'm not sure what the word means. Usually, when I think of it, I think of it in light of this parable, and I think it means like wayward or someone who wanders away or something like that. But that's not it at all. Prodigal means someone who recklessly, recklessly spends or recklessly wastes everything they have. So if we call it the parable of the prodigal son, we're going to hear the parable and think it's about the younger son in the parable who gets his father's inheritance and recklessly spends it all. Now, it's not a bad title because we know how the account goes. The younger son comes to his father, and he demands that the father give him his inheritance. Now, already the younger son is sinning in a great way, because uh, to say you want your inheritance is to tell the father, I wish you were dead. The inheritances are not usually given out until the father dies. So in essence, the son goes to his father and says, die, old man, and give me what I have coming to me. Now, shockingly, the father actually does it. Pretty remarkable. But nonetheless, he gives him uh, his inheritance and the son goes away. And after a few days, we read, he went off to Vegas and he learned why the phrase for Vegas is what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. He learned that that's referring to your money, actually. Uh, and so he goes and he blows everything. You've heard the phrase, it's better to burn out than fade away. I'd rather burn out than fade away. Well, he burnt out, but then found he still had it to fade. He still had to fade away. So he finds himself wallowing with the pigs in his guilt and in his shame, overwhelmed by the fact that he has nothing left. And so he starts to concoct some sort of half-baked repentance, trying to figure out 
how he's going to get back into his father's good graces. And he gets up and he goes home to the father. Now I know why we like this title for the parable. Why we like to call it the parable of the prodigal son. I think we like to focus in on this portion of the parable because we identify with the younger son. We look at him and we say, that was me. That was me back in college. That was me Thursday night. That was me. I identify with him. We know what it's like to take God's laws, his rules, his commands, and throw them back in his face as if he were dead and try and live on our own. We know what it's like to take the wonderful blessings and the good gifts that God has given to us and waste them in selfish and sinful ways. And then we know what it's like to be wallowing in our guilt and in our shame, recognizing that we've done everything wrong and that we have nothing left. We know what it's like to try and come up with some form of repentance that will impress God enough to welcome us back into the family. But then we also know what it's like to have a God like the Father in the parable. Now maybe you don't know what this is like. And if you've never heard this parable before, it's going to blow you away the way the father treats the younger son in his sin because you need to understand this is the way the father treats you and treats me. We come back to him in our sinfulness, covered in our guilt and in our shame, and what does the father do? He doesn't even wait for the son to get back to the door. He is sprinting through the streets, which in those days would have been just a shameful thing for the father to do. And he finds his son covered in guilt and filth and slop and scoops him up into his arms and embraces him and kisses him. That is, he gets his son's filth all over himself. And as the son starts to kind of, kind of spit out the little repentance thing he has here, the father doesn't even let him finish. The father's just glad to see him. And so he throws a party, he puts a robe on him, he puts the royal signet ring on his finger, he puts shoes on his feet, and they throw a raging party in celebration of this son coming home. What you need to hear today is that this is exactly how God treats you in Christ Jesus. He finds you in your guilt and in your shame, and when we come here to, to be in his presence or when we come back to him in repentance, he is there to scoop us up in his arms to forgive and to rejoice over us. There's that wonderful verse in the Old Testament, the book of Zechariah, that says, God delights and sings over you. That's what I hear in this parable. See, the Father sings over you because Christ has paid for your sins on the cross and you are forgiven. That's why we like this parable. And, I, and that's why we like this title, Parable of the Prodigal Son, because we see the joy and the salvation that he has in his repentance. There's a problem with that title. If that's the title we use, we stop the parable right there. We kind of finish the story and we move on. But as it turns out, there's more to this parable. There's more to be said here. So maybe we need to find a different title. And so I think maybe a good title we could look at for another option here is uh, we could title it uh, The Parable of the Obstinate Older Brother. The Parable of the Obstinate Older Brother. Because you'll recall that when the son comes home, we find that there's another son involved. And this son is not too thrilled to see his younger brother's return, and he's less, and he's not even not too thrilled to see him. He's even angry 
over the reception that the son has received. So this is, this is what Jesus said. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house and heard music and dancing. And he called for one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back, safe and sound. But he, that is the older brother, was angry, and he refused to go in. Now, by calling this parable the parable of the obstinate older brother, I think we can actually find a great deal of use uh, in that title. After all, we need to remember who is the parable aimed at? Who is Jesus speaking to when he tells this parable? Well, if you remember the beginning of the reading today, the parable is not actually aimed at this sort of group of younger brothers who are now celebrating and rejoicing in the party of God's grace. But rather, the parable was aimed at the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes who Jesus says were grumbling about Jesus saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. This parable is as much about a joyful redemption of the younger brother as it is about the obstinate, self-righteous response of the older brother, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The older brother, who like the Pharisees, and the scribes, I should say, refused to rejoice in grace, but demanded justice. Now, it's fascinating to me. Think about this. The father then goes out to the older brother and invites him to come back into the party. The text says he entreats him to come back into the party, but the older brother will not come because, you see, the older brother is too proud. He looks at his younger brother and compares him with that boy, and he says, it's not right. After all, he would tell you, I'm not the sort of guy who takes handouts like that. I'm someone who's earned everything I have. That's what he would tell you. We'll get back to that in a few moments. After all, he is the one who is in the father's house the whole time, working away, obeying the rules, earning his keep, doing everything the morally sound, righteous way. And his father is just giving everything down to his other son? The father is treating his younger son with such lavishness? This isn't fair. That younger brother's earned nothing. What's worse, he's deserved the opposite. He's deserved nothing but punishment and judgment. The older brother's saying, look, I should be getting the party. I should be getting the goat. That's what he says. Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this, your son, uh, when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Are there no consequences for his actions? The older brother is asking. Won't this just encourage him to go and sin some more? Won't this sort of treatment just empower him to go out and do it again? You know what I call this, says the older brother. I call this cheap grace nothing but handouts to the undeserving poor. And you call it gospel art. Now, when we read the parable with this title, the parable of the obstinate older brother, we might find ourselves in a rather uncomfortable position. After all, we love the gospel. We love grace when it's for us. 
But then we see God showing grace to those people who sin in such a way that we think is just a little bit worse than the way we sin, uh, who sin in such a way that we think they are beyond the pale of forgiveness. They at least have to do something right to get back in. I think that part bothers us, but I think what actually bothers us more about this parable is how the father takes no, has like no regard for the work of the older brother. Because it's hard for us to hear that the best of what we do, the most impressive of our works, these do nothing to earn us a place at the party. They do nothing to get us a seat at the table. It is always and only given by grace. It is worth noting that, as I mentioned at the beginning, or a little bit ago here in, in the sermon, the older brother would come to you and tell you he's not the sort who takes handouts. He earns everything he has. He deserves everything he has. But that's not quite accurate. If you remember the beginning of the parable, when does the older brother receive the inheritance? The same moment that the younger brother receives the inheritance. The younger brother goes to the father and says, I wish you were dead. Give me what I have coming to me. And the father gave it to him, but he also gave it at that moment to the older brother. Which means, though he did it in a much more moral and upright and ethical way, he also wished the father dead and took what he had coming to him. He also treated the father in the same way, just in a manner that looked better to everyone else. He didn't build, he didn't create, he didn't earn this house. It was given to him. This inheritance was his by grace from the beginning. This is why when the father went out to him to entreat him to come back inside, he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. You've lacked nothing. I've given you everything. Now, what's interesting to me here at this point, this is where the parable ends. And you don't actually hear how the older brother responds to the father's request. You don't hear about whether or not the older brother goes into the party or if he refuses to go in and he stays out in the field. Well, if we assume that he stays out in the field, we might call this parable the parable of the prodigal sons. Each of them are prodigals because both of them are finding a way to waste what the father has given them. The younger one in licentious living and the older one with his pride and self-righteousness, refusing to enjoy and receive the grace of God. The parable of the prodigal son, both sinning against their father, each in their own way, neither of them having faith or love for their father, both taking without earning, and both squandering the father gave. And the reality is, this is not a bad title for the parable, because it reminds us, for us, that in one way or another, this is how we sin, whether it's in pride or self-righteousness, or in licentious living. But in both ways, we squander and waste the gift of God. Both, in both situations, we find that we need the grace of the Father. But I wonder maybe if that's not the route we should go. Maybe if we look for another title here, this one might be more helpful. We call it the parable uh, of the prodigal father. Now that's an interesting 
I'm stealing that. There's a wonderful book by a gentleman named uh, Tim Keller, and he calls his book The Prodigal God. Now think about that. Why would we call it The Prodigal God? Because this is a parable about how the father takes what he has and just recklessly and relentlessly gives it to sinners. How about that? He takes all that he has and gives it to his house, which is filled with sinners who sin in one way or another, but the Father treats them in the same way. They both treat him as though he's dead and take what they have coming to them. Or you could read it this way. The Father, in essence, dies and gives them their inheritance, and yet still lives. Now, who does that sound like? like Jesus. And when they're in their sin outside of the house, what does the Father do? In the same way, he goes out to them. He invites them into the party. He wants to celebrate with them in his presence. He goes out to them to bring them in. He gives an extravagant party to his wayward, foolish son, and celebrates his redemption. He gives his inheritance to proud, thankless sinners like the older brother, both of whom place themselves outside of the family because of their sin, and both of whom are pursued by the relentless love, the reckless giving of this father. This is a parable about the gracious work of Jesus Christ for sinners. It's a parable about the gracious work of Jesus Christ for you. The way he is constantly going out to you, no matter the nature of your sin, with grace, with compassion, with forgiveness. It's not merely about the conversion of the wicked younger brother, nor is it merely about the pride of the obstinate older brother, though both of those are in view. It is about the way God relates to those he loves, even in their sin. And it's not just about the way God treats those he loves in some general sense. It's about the way God treats you. For you are these kinds of sinners, aren't you? I know I am. Depending on the day, depending on the week, depending on the time of day, I could fit into either of those categories. And yet, it doesn't matter what time it is, God comes to me to forgive me, to call me back to himself. He does the same for you. You are the one in this parable who is forgiven and loved by God. And don't just think this is a parable about how Jesus comes for sinners like you. No, think about it like this. You are the sinner he's come for. And it is not in his nature to ever stop pursuing so I think I got a good title for the sermon, for the parable. I think what we're going to call it today is this. The parable of God's relentless love for sinners. His relentless love for you. The title's a little long, but I think it'll work. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your relentless, reckless love shower upon us. And we pray to you, dear Father, that you would help us to receive your gift with joy. Forgive us, O oh God, for our recklessness. Forgive us for abusing your gift. Forgive us for our pride. And give us your Son, Jesus, who always brings us back to the
his name we pray.